Welcome to PCA One-on-One, Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. And now here's your host, Jim Thompson, PCA founder and CEO. So I'm really excited today to interview Paul Tuff on PCA One-on-One. Uh, Paul is the author of Whatever It Takes, Jeffrey Canada's Quest to Change Harlem and America. He followed that up with How Children Succeed, Grit, Curiosity, and the Hidden Power of Character, and his most recent book, Helping Children Succeed, What Works and Why. Um, he's also been a writer and editor for New York Times Magazine, The New Yorker, Atlantic, Harper's, and a producer on This American Life on NPR. I met Paul at a, a conference sponsored by the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation where he gave a talk and just a fantastic talk and was uh, really excited when, um, Paul, when you agreed to uh, speak to us today. So um, eager to get uh, your wisdom out to our folks. Well, thanks for the invitation. Glad to be here. So you talk about two different toolboxes that can in your in your latest book <clears throat> that can be used to help children succeed, especially kids who are coming from tough environments. One is the connection toolbox, and the other is you call the challenge toolbox. Um, let's focus on the, the the connection toolbox first. Um, we say at Positive Coach Alliance that connection precedes commitment. Kids won't commit until they feel connected to a coach and teammates. Yet we find so many coaches ignoring that need to connect. Any thoughts on why that is? Uh, on, on why the need is or why some coaches ignore it? Yeah, why um, – well, let's start with what, why it's so important and then maybe talk about why so many coaches ignore it. Sure. Uh, so, I mean, I think this is this is something that a lot of um, athletic coaches have known for a long time, right, that, that kids, especially kids who are – Growing up in difficult circumstances, it, it, their their motivation isn't always um, as straightforward as we might want, right? They aren't necessarily motivated, uh, even in really competitive uh, sports or other fields. They're not necessarily motivated by the trophy or the victory or um, or the you know new record time. What they're really motivated by underneath that is the desire to be a part of something, to be connected to um, a group, to be connected to to individual adults who can service sort of uh, role models and guides for them, um, and, and just to sort of have that sense of relatedness that I think is important to so many um, people in general and children in, in particular. Um, and, and so again, I think this is something that a lot of coaches have known. What I write about in my book is the research uh, of some psychologists, especially um, these two guys named BC and Ryan uh, from the University of Rochester who uh, have demonstrated that the kind of incentives that we often use in sports and in education to, um, to try to motivate kids, those aren't very effective over the long term. That really what's effective for kids especially uh, is, is a sense of autonomy and connectedness and competence. Uh, and that when kids have that, when they do feel like they belong in a situation, when they feel like they're getting better at something, um, that can be intensely motivating for them. Uh, and sometimes that just comes from the sport or the pursuit on its own uh, for some kids. But more often, it, there needs to be an adult, a coach, or someone else who can help uh, that young person feel that sense of connectedness. You know, um, we, you, you focus a lot on kids in adverse environments and what causes some of them to succeed and others, many others not to. And just looking at the, you know, the functioning of our economy over the last 20 year, years or so, um, there's a huge amount of kids nowadays who 
are no longer growing up in what we'd call a middle-class environment. So, you know, it may even be that the majority of kids playing sports are coming out of an adverse environment and aren't necessarily motivated by the carrot and stick, but more by this connectedness. What are some ways that you saw, and I know you saw some great teachers and, and other mentors through your research, what are some of the ways they build that connectedness? Um, so I think some of it is is very sort of personal and spontaneous. I mean, it's just about um, listening to kids, talking to kids, being empathetic, uh, finding connections, finding methods of discipline that are more about um, encouragement and, and, and kind of metacognition, in other words, helping kids think about the decisions they're making rather than uh, punishments and, and sort of material incentives, treating kids like people instead of like machines. Um, but I, I think there are some, so some of that is just personal, and some of that is just, just about you know, finding that personal connection with the kids the way that some coaches I think have always been really good at doing and others have put less of a premium on. Um, but then I think there are some uh, there's some particular methods as well that uh, that I write about, and again, I'm mostly writing in, in an educational setting. Um, and a lot of those are about peer uh, peer discussion groups. So there's, for instance, this one that I read about called uh, Becoming a Man, um, which is actually a sports-based group in Chicago that works with uh, only teenage boys and, and especially boys who are really uh, in, in pretty at-risk circumstances. Um, and the intervention is just to get... A, handful, you know, eight or ten of these boys together on a weekly basis um, to talk about uh, what's up in their lives, what's up at school, what's up at home, um, and sometimes to take part in some kind of activity, right? And so th th I write about it because it's been studied particularly carefully by some economists at the University of Chicago, but their methods are not particularly um, uh, radical <laughs> or unusual, and in fact, you know, these are methods that any, you know, Boy Scout troop leader or or athletic coach knows about, right? It's getting a bunch of young guys together uh, who might not have a lot of uh, direction in their lives otherwise, and giving them a sense of connection to each other. And so I think you know, not 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 every sport is a team sport, of course, um, but I think when uh, when young people can feel not just a connection with with a coach or a mentor or a teacher or a parent but also can feel a sense of being uh, part of a team and part of a, uh, a mission, part you know, a, a group of people who, who has each other's back. You know, that, that matters for athletes, it matters for soldiers, and it matters for students as well. And I think that, that when a coach can, can focus on kind of create that sense of team, that sense of connectedness and togetherness, um, for a lot of kids that matters more than whatever the athletic pursuit is itself. Yeah, I recently read a book by Teresa Amabile and Stephen Kramer called The Progress Principle, in which they say the most important motivator for Americans at work is feeling like you're making progress in important work. And, you know, you recommended the, the movie about chess in Brooklyn, Brooklyn Castle, and I, I watched yeah, yeah. that recently. And, you know, at, at some level, you could say whether you're good in chess or not really doesn't have much to do with whether you're going to be successful or not. Um but, man, those kids really believe that that's important to them, and they work so hard. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and, and I think it's the, – the, I think, you know, there's a lot of different sports that are meaningful to, to individual kids, right? You can get 
like basketball, swimming, lacrosse, whatever it is, like you can get connected to that sport and feel connected to its history or, you know, what's happening on a professional level or anything else. But I think that the, the things that seem to me to be sort of universally motivating to kids, whether it's chess or, uh, uh, you know, basketball, um, is is two things. One is being part of that connected group that feels like it's got a, a joint mission. Uh, and the other is that it's something that you can you can observe yourself getting better at. Uh, yep. And you can and observe that your hard work actually pays off. Um, and that is that that seems really simple again, but it's incredibly meaningful, I think, for for kids especially. And I think especially for kids uh who are growing up in adverse circumstances and maybe aren't hearing that message uh from the people around them or from their circumstances in other ways. Um but you know so, so chess it's certainly true, right? The harder you work at chess, the better you get. I mean you hit plateaus, you things come and go, but like practice really does pay off. And the same thing is true in most athletic pursuits. I mean, it matters how you practice. It matters who's coaching you. Um, but over the course of a, of a season, you know, watching yourself get better, um, even in small ways, and, and, and noticing that that's not just sort of random, but what happens when you practice and happens when you practice with with the sort of help of a good coach, uh, helps when you practice in particular ways. All of those messages, uh, I think, really sink in for kids. I also think that those are then really meaningful for kids in um, in academics, you know, in school, because we don't like we do tend to run our, our you know basketball practices or our chess uh, clubs that way, um, giving kids lots of, of sort of reiterative feedback that helps them slowly see how they can get better at something. We don't tend to do that, unfortunately, in math class or English class or history class. Um, and so that's another reason. I mean, I think we should change the way we teach math and history and English, but it's also, I think, a place where kids can get this really valuable lesson that they can then apply to math class, right? So if they've seen themselves, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a swimmer, um, getting better with practice and learning from, you know, advice from coaches, um, that they can then apply that to, to math and say, like, okay, when I hit an obstacle that seems impossible to overcome, um, you know, in algebra, I can apply the same sort of psychological principles that like sticking with something, continuing practice, trying other methods, getting advice, all of those things are going to help me get better. And and in lots of ways, that's going to pay off, I think, in math class in more uh, uh, profound ways uh, in a child's life in general than it necessarily is in sports. Yeah, yeah, I've I've read that um, kids don't they work really hard in sports. They see themselves getting better, but they don't automatically transfer that to the rest of their life. And that's one of the things we teach coaches is to to to, to make that leap. Wow, you've really gotten better. Uh, you've worked really hard in this. What would happen if you worked that hard in your math math homework? Kind of right. Yeah, and and I think I think I think I think it's a great thing for coaches to talk about. I think it again. I think I think it, there's a lot that our teachers uh, and educators can learn from coaches in terms of using some of the same kind of psychological strategies that coaches use. Um, but I also think that it can it there's a level in which it just sinks in for for kids as well. Just having that experience of of being part of something and getting better at it, um, I feel like it. There's a way that that can naturally transfer, uh, but but I think the you know the reality for a lot of kids in American schools these days is that they they kind of sit through their school day you know watching the clock, counting the hours until they can get out and do the clubs and sports that they actually care about and feel motivated about. 
Uh, and it's great that there are those sports clubs that they feel motivated about. But, but you know, what, what happens in those school days is pretty important as well. And if we could find ways to, you know, change that motivation structure so that the kids feel as excited by what's happening at school as they do about sports uh, or chess, um, I, I feel like we would, we would have a lot more educational success in our country. You, in your latest book, you have a chapter on neglect, and you talk about this, um, the St. Petersburg Orphanage study, where caregivers were, they weren't mean, but they just weren't very emotional, and, um, you know, they were taught, at least a group of them were taught to to be, to smile and, and uh, you know, alter their, their um, tone of voice, et cetera. Um, do you want to tell what what uh, the results of that were? Sure. Um, yes, they were they were really profound. This this was uh, uh, again pretty pretty simple a pretty simple intervention. It was just talking to these Russian caregivers and saying when you're uh, you know you don't need to change where these kids are sleeping or the food you're giving them or anything else. That is all fine. Um, but these kids were really suffering. You know, they they were um, they were not doing well physically. They were not doing well mentally, psychologically. Um, and then when the caregivers just started doing the regular, you know, parent type behaviors, singing to kids, playing peekaboo, uh, looking them in the eyes, smiling, um, singing songs to them, uh, it had this profound effect on on the the kids' mental state. They were much happier. They were much more secure. They uh, were much less anxious, and it even had effects on their physical development. They they gained weight. Uh, they got bigger. Their their head circumference increased. Um, all of these all of these markers that you know by all rights shouldn't have anything to do with just uh, you know the, the sort of mental emotional state that kids are in, um, but clearly do. Especially for young kids, you know these were like one and two and three year olds. Especially for young kids, those personal connections uh, with adults um, make this have this transformative effect on how how kids do. So those are those are pretty young kids. Um, let's take kids who are coming out of an adverse situation and they're in a, on a team now, and they have a coach who uh, is either harsh or is just kind of um, at least not not warm and and uh, smiley. Um, is it worth it to try to change the behavior of those coaches when you're talking about kids coaching with kids who are 10, 12, 14? Uh, to get them to emulate the caregivers uh, in that orphanage. Uh, I think absolutely, yeah. So there, there is, um, you know, the, the the research that's done in early childhood is in some ways more um, authoritative, just because it's easier to do, you know, like randomized controlled experiments with one-year-olds than it is with ten-year-olds. Um, but there's there's clear evidence from interventions with adolescents and, and even in high school um, that changing the behavior of the adults around kids, uh, again, especially kids who are growing up in difficult circumstances, uh, has this huge effect that, that these same principles of, uh, you know, that kids want connection and they want challenge and support, um, these are absolutely true for teenagers uh, or 10-year-olds as, as, as well as they are for infants and toddlers. Um, and then the other thing that I think that's really important is that adult behavior can change as well. You know, that, that all throughout my book, I talk about different um, 
moments where interventions don't work directly with kids. They work with the adults who work with kids. They, they coach parents. They coach uh, preschool teachers. Um, they, they coach uh, middle school teachers. Um, and I think you can coach coaches as well uh, and give them the kind of um, information, direction, support, uh, uh, sense that this, uh, this alternative method of coaching, of dealing with kids, uh, of interacting with children, in general, um, can have this really profound uh, effect on how well those kids do. And one of the things that I, I find so uh, encouraging about all of these interventions, again, whether it's with parents or, or preschool teachers or, or uh, people working with older kids, um, is that when the teachers uh, or coaches or parents make these changes and, and start interacting with the kids in their care in this more uh, warm, empathetic, um, um, still challenging way, um, their relationship changes. And, you know, the kids get happier, the parents or coaches or teachers get happier. Um, uh, the, the, there's sort of this virtuous cycle that happens. Uh, so it's not just, it, it, it's, it, it quickly like leaves the abstract where you're just trying to give um, the adult this advice and saying, just trust me, there's science behind it. Uh, and very quickly, I think, the, the adults who change their behavior, change their approach to kids, they see it working. They see like, oh, you know, the, the abuse, uh, there is much less conflict in my relationship with these kids. They're working harder. They're feeling better. I'm feeling better. Uh, and it's not just about like sort of warmth and fuzziness, like, oh, we're all, you know, we're all a lot happier, but we're not winning any games <laughs> or doing well in chess or doing well in math. Um, the, the kids do better as well. Like once they get more committed and more connected, um, they perform better in all sorts of ways as well. And that's actually the the hook we're trying to use. One thing we know about virtually every coach is they want to win. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of the hook we're using, that um, if you make your kids feel connected to you and the team, they're going to commit and you're going to get better results. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the let's talk about the challenge toolbox. Um, talk a little bit about that. Sure. So I, I think we've been we've been sort of um, hinting at it a little bit in our conversation so far. But but I think that there is this um, as well as the, the 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 toolbox of warmth and connectedness and relatedness. There is something um, very powerful about giving kids uh, appropriate challenges. Um, so pushing them to accomplish things that, that they don't necessarily think is possible. Um, and, and again, this is something that you know a lot of coaches do very instinctively and have done for a long time. Um, but I think that there, I think two things. One is that I think that um, sometimes I think when we move in a more or when we encourage coaches or teachers to move in a more sort of empathetic, warm direction, that gets interpreted as just like, you know, just hold hands and sing songs and like it's not about winning and don't push kids too hard. Uh, but I, that's not true at all. So, um, uh, you know, warmth and, and demandingness, I think, can go together very well. Um, and I think that's something that, that you, you mentioned this chess movie, Brooklyn Castle. It's about a, a chess coach named Elizabeth Spiegel, who I wrote about in How Children Succeed. Um, and she is, I think, a fantastic coach, a fantastic teacher, a fantastic motivator of kids. Um, but she's also like, she's not, she's, she's pretty demanding. Like, she's pretty tough on them. And I write about that in, in my book. Um, and you can see that in the movie as well. Uh, and, and those demands, I think, first of all, they work because she also makes those kids feel uh, connected and a sense of belonging and a sense of empathy. Um, but then she is giving them uh, very specific um, demands. You know, she is, is, is giving them... 
direction that can help them get better in very specific ways, getting them to look at what they're not doing right, again, in very precise ways, not like, you know, you just don't care or you just don't believe in chess, you're just no good at chess, but saying, like, on this sixth move in this game, you should have moved that pawn over there, but you didn't look carefully enough, and so you moved it over there. Um, and, and kids, I think, and, and but that paired with the message, I believe you can do better, and if you work harder, you will do better. And that message, I think, is incredibly motivating for, for kids because they want to get better, they want to believe that they can get better, uh, and they want to believe that someone believes that they can get better. Uh, so yeah. I think when they're hearing from a coach, um, I have high expectations for you. I don't think that this performance was good enough. I know you can do better. Um, the, there's a way that, that, that a message like that can be delivered to make kids feel, I'm no good. And there's a way that that message can be delivered to make kids feel like I, I can push myself and this person believes that I can push myself and that I can do better than I'm doing right now. Uh, and, and especially when that person who's pushing you is somebody who you do feel a sense of warmth and connectedness with, uh, that I think is the, is the kind of coaching or teaching or parenting relationship that is most motivating and most powerful to kids. Watching her um, work in that movie was just very inspiring. And, and one of the things we teach coaches is to ask rather than tell. And she did that. She would say, okay, then this move, this is what you did. What what could you have done? What do you see there? And so the right. kid has to actually think rather than her just saying you should have moved here. I, I was very impressed with her. That's great, yeah. Think, I, uh, I didn't thought of it that way, but, you, but you're quite right. Um, so we, we have a phrase we call the Elm Tree of Mastery, E for effort, L for learning, M for bouncing back from mistakes. And um, we really think this is the embodiment of uh, sports psychology. Sports psychology's basic principle is focus on what you can control and ignore the things you can't. And you can control your effort, your amount of learning, and you can learn to bounce back from mistakes. Um, what um, I've, I've often thought that uh, mistakes are the most are the bugaboo of kids. Like they're, they're out in public and they want, don't want to look stupid. They make a mistake and oh my god, um, what what have you? What can you say about mistakes uh, and how adults should respond to those mistakes? Given the research for your various books. Sure. So I, I think um, I, I think you're right that those moments of making mistakes or, or failing uh, are the key. Um, the key moments for kids in general, uh, and there there are moments that I think in a lot of um, schools and in a lot of families, uh, and I think on a lot of teams as well, that we, the adults in these children's lives, do not respond very well to those mistakes, to those failures. We don't provide a good um, uh, structure of reactions to those moments for those kids, and and. The research that I'm seeing, uh, people I've read about this woman named Camille Farrington, who talks a lot about failure. Uh, I read about Carol Dweck, the researcher at Stanford, who discovered this idea of mindset that is, I think, uh, becoming increasingly popular uh, and, and having a big, big impact on psychology in general. Uh, and they're all pushing us, I think, in the same direction to say that the way that we talk to kids about mistakes and failures is one of the most important things that we can do as parents or teachers or coaches. Uh, and that when we give kids the message that a failure is a disaster, uh, is something that they need help from adults to fix, um, is something that, that symbolizes a deeper flaw in their character or their abilities, um, that that 
makes kids freeze. You know, even if they're doing well, uh, it makes it very difficult for them to um, progress and to take chances and to try harder work. Uh, it makes them it makes them scared. But when we send kids uh, what Carol Dweck calls a growth mindset message that failures are actually um, one of the most important moments in learning, that they're this opportunity for us to get better, um, that we should actually you know, do our best to feel good about those moments of failure. Um, without them, we can't get better at anything. Um, that, uh, when kids take on that attitude, and it's not doesn't come naturally, I think, to a lot of kids, but I think it can uh, be conveyed to them. They work much harder. They um, feel much better about the work that they're doing. They take more chances. They push themselves. They uh, aspire to higher things. And that makes a huge difference in how kids do um, in school, in life, and, and in athletics as well. And you have this great um, metaphor of, you know, the, our, our, our bodies and our chemistry is is like a fire truck that's ready to go whenever there is danger, whatever we perceive yeah. danger, and then the cortisol, the stress goes way up, and you know it's not the it's not the danger that does the damage, it's the fire trucks, it's all that stress, um, yeah. and especially early stress. And I've I, I I think that one of the great things a coach can uh, communicate to a kid is how do you deal with a stressful situation? You know, you got a one and one free throw, and we're one point behind. There's no time left on the clock. Um, what, how do you how do you deal with that? Learning to to deal with that kind of stress and realizing, you know, I'm not going to die if I if I miss this free throw. Yeah, yeah. It's a, and it's a it's a difficult um, uh, you know it's a very difficult line to walk because and and this is again something that I found watching Elizabeth. Uh, she was very good at conveying that like winning is better than losing. <laughs> it's but it's good to like make that shot and not miss that shot. It's not that it doesn't matter. Um, but that uh, but that you also need to divorce yourself from that moment a little bit and you need to, you know, do your best to make it, but but you're going to lose sometimes. You're going to make mistakes sometimes. What matters most is how you learn from that moment of mistake. Uh, and that is, that's hard for anybody. I mean, I do think, I do think it's, it, one of the things that it's easy to forget when you're thinking about this growth mindset research is that even if you're completely convinced by the research that failure is important and a great learning experience, it still feels terrible when you miss that free, free throw with one second to go uh, and the game on the line. It's still going to feel lousy. Um, but but I think when we can help kids understand like that, that, that those moments do matter, but they also don't define us uh, and they give us an opportunity to learn and to bounce back and to do better next time, um, that that is just, you know, it not only helps on the blank field or in class, but it helps in a much deeper way, I think, that lasts throughout our lives. Great. One last question. Any um, any advice for coaches and, uh, and or sports parents based on all the things you've you've uh, learned? What's the number one thing or number one and two things you'd have them do? Um, there's so much. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I think I would, I would just say that it's really important to think about the psychology of kids, uh, and particularly the psychology of, of, of kids when they're in um, high-pressure situations. Uh, and, and to think, you know, about that psychology in the, in the big picture, in the long term. So I think, you know, when I was at these um, 
chess tournaments uh, in Ohio, like watching the, how the team was doing, the, this, this team from Brooklyn that I followed. Um, and it was like the, these were the nationals. They were up for the, you know, they were on the line to win the whole thing. It, it is easy to get lost in that moment and feel like what really matters is winning this particular tournament. Um, but I think, and I think for any parent who's followed kids through sports, you have that same sort of feeling. But I think when you can um, still feel you know, excited and committed about that particular event in that particular moment, but be able to remove yourself a little bit and say, like, what really matters here in this chess tournament or this you know, lacrosse tournament or anything else is what kind of lessons my child is learning, what messages they're hearing, what psychological strategies they are uh, gaining for the future when they're adults. Um, that's really what matters. And, and it's easy to lose sight, I think, that, that is, that's what's important for most kids playing most uh, athletic um, sports or games. So that's really what, what the point of it is. And so I think that changes the way that we coach and it changes the way that we parent. Um, and again, I don't think it means we, that we just say, like, uh, it doesn't matter if you win or lose. It doesn't matter, you know, like, you shouldn't feel any pressure at all. But it, it means it, it redefines the way we think about pressure, uh, that it's pressure not just to, uh, to win, but pressure to watch yourself getting better. Um, and when kids can feel that kind of positive pressure um, and can learn how to thrive in those moments, that is something I think that's going to stay with them the rest of their lives. And, and, you know, as we as adults know, there are lots of those moments. They're not usually athletic for most of us adults, but there are lots of those moments where you have those challenges and you have to rise to the occasion. And if as a kid you have watched yourself uh, uh, meet high expectations, overcome uh, what you thought you could do, those feelings, I think, can stick with us for the rest of our lives. Yeah, that, that's great. You know, one of the things that occurs to me is that as a parent or as a coach, uh, when a kid is under pressure and um, and fails, there's no better time to let them know that you care about them. And Absolutely. they believe it then. It's like the kid, yep. your kid hits a home run and you say, oh, I love you. Your kid yep. strikes out with the bases loaded and you say, I love you. That's They really believe it then. Yeah, you're right, and it's exactly when they need to hear it. Paul, this has been fantastic. Um, we will get this out to uh, you know thousands of people that are part of the Positive Coaching Alliance, and I really appreciate your – I know you have a busy day today, and I really appreciate your taking the, the time to talk with me this, this morning. Well, thanks so much. Sorry uh, for technical difficulties, um, but thank you for the conversation. It was great to meet you um, uh, in Washington, and I'm glad we got a chance to talk uh, a little bit more. Thanks for joining us on this episode of PCA One-on-One. Be sure to visit PositiveCoach.org to download more podcasts.